0: Chelsea Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. As Emily mentioned, the Cardinals took two of three over the weekend from the Twins, that following a hectic and extremely busy, I'm sure, for John Moe's trade deadline period. And the Cardinals president of baseball operations joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mo, thanks for your time this morning. How are you doing? I'm well. Good morning.
1: Well, Mo, before we get into the moves that you made with the Cardinals, I wanted to ask you about the trade deadline as a whole. A lot of people were calling this the craziest trade deadline ever, and you were in the eye of the storm. What was it like for you to watch so many transaction ha- transactions happening with so many big name players?
2: You know, I think the interesting part of this deadline was that there were just, it was such a seller's market because there were so many teams that were, you know, very active trying to add players and. I mean, as you saw, like, like some of the players moved, especially on the sort of like elite end of the pitching side, it was really like a lot of prospects were being moved historically over the last few years. You just really haven't seen like big name prospects being traded at the deadline. And this year you saw a major return for some of these uh, elite pitchers. And so like, you know, as we entered the market, we were certainly looking for, for arms. Um, Obviously we were, our goal was to stabilize our rotation and as we started dipping our toe on, on that side of the swimming pool, we realized we might drown. So, um, you know, we, we, we tried to avoid making the type of, of trade that, you know, might create some sort of paralysis for us down the road. And, uh, you know, ultimately we added two veteran pitchers. Um, obviously they're looking for a, a fresh start, but, you know, I do think those types of guys like Happ and Lester can help stabilize our, our rotation. And then, you know, ultimately getting Flaherty and, and Miles back, I think just the overall depth of arms and the experience will be something that we benefit from. And hopefully we can get going and, and get on a little run. Mo,
0: what's the, what's the ultimate goal, though, with these two? Obviously, you want to stabilize your rotation in the short term, but you do have Flaherty and Michaelis coming back. Is there a sense of needing to protect those guys or protect some of your younger pitchers like Oviedo as well?
2: Sure, I mean a couple things go into it. Um, you know, Kim has has dealt with some injuries throughout the the summer. Um, didn't want to find ourselves getting short again, and then didn't want to have to just keep throwing Oviedo up here when you know he's he's still in a very much a developmental stage of his career. And then even somebody like Woody, when we went into the season, we saw Woody as someone that was going to give us spot starts from time to time, maybe add some depth in our bullpen. But the way we've had to use them. I just think both Woody and Oviedo were, were, were getting the short end of the stick as far as their development. And they're both young, and they're both in a, par, a place in their career where you know, pitching it consistently and, and growing as pitchers is probably the most important thing for them on an individual standpoint. Yet we were having a, a need for them because we, we, we were basically short.
0: So early last week when Mike Rizzo said the only untouchable we have is Soto, I told Michelle that my dream scenario was to get the two guys that the Dodgers wound up with. I know, Mo, that you wanted to protect your future, and uh, you're insistent upon that, but did you engage the Nationals at all on Scherzer and Turner?
2: You know, it's always awkward for me to get into, like, who I spoke with, what we spoke about, and why, because that just opens up a, a lot of questions. But needless to say, you know, we spoke with every team. And um, that's our responsibility. And we were looking at all different ways to try to improve, um, you know, but simply said, there's always a cost to those types of conversations. And, um, you know, I think we were very thorough in what we went through over the last couple weeks. But, um, you know, I think we ended up on a place where we feel comfortable with and we don't think we gave up much for
0: our future in doing so. And ultimately, your job is not to make Randy Carricker's dreams come true.
2: (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) I do try to keep people happy, but I know I can't keep your side happy.
1: Well, Mo, I know heading into the season, you said you wanted to evaluate certain players. So let's take a look at that while also looking towards the future. Harrison Bader has been great since he returned from injury. We know what a healthy Tyler O'Neill looks like. And Dylan Carlson has certainly shown positive signs for the future. There's been a lot of players who have cycled through the outfield over the past few years. But are you confident in those three players that you found some anchors for your outfield in the future?
2: I think so. Um, you know the one unfortunate part about this season is, is is there's been a lot of injuries in that outfield, and so we haven't really seen them play together um, for majority of the season, but having said that, when they are playing together, it's what we envisioned. Um, you know clearly Bader's you know an elite defender, and as this bat has matured at this level, you're starting to see why we're excited about him so I mean overall very pleased with the outfield, but understand that you know ultimately you've got to play the whole season and so You know, that was what we envisioned as we went into 2021. It hasn't worked out that way, but, you know, clearly we think all three are trending in the right direction.
1: Another guy, Mo, that you wanted to get some eyes on was Andrew Kisner. How difficult has it been to fully evaluate him and what his future can be while you still have Yadir Molina playing at such a high level?
2: Well, uh, very difficult, right? (laughs) He just, he doesn't play much. So it's, it's, you know, unfortunate. I spoke with him, uh, couple weeks ago and you know he is eyeing winter ball because he knows he needs at bats he knows he needs to be playing he's at a point in his career too where his development is still very real and so we'll see how um he does in winter ball but but clearly you know at some point you got to find balance between Yachty's everyday playing time and and uh whoever that backup is and that's something we've talked about for for years but it's it's something that you know we understand and, and ultimately uh you know hopefully we can work through. but you know clearly he hasn't gotten that opportunity.
0: And Mo, the old adage is is that Father Time is undefeated. and Yadi, as great as he's been, he this year at least has has faded a little bit. I, I understand deference to him because he he's going to be a Hall of famer. But at the same time, is there a need to get that next guy ready?
2: Well, I think so in the sense of like in terms of planning, but I will say like you know when you look at our minor league system right now with somebody like Herrera, You know he's probably ultimately the long-term future of this organization. But in the meantime, you still want to be giving opportunities. And and when you're someone like Andrew Kisner, at some point, are you better off maybe being back in Memphis playing every day or are you better off riding the bench? And, I mean, you guys have heard me talk over the years about young players that come up here and just sit. It's not ideal for them. And, And so ultimately you're trying to find that balance. But having said that, we've been a little bit, hand-tied on what was going down in Memphis as well. So at some point, you know, we're going to have to think about, you know, what type of backup do we want, and are we better off having Kisner develop somewhere, or is it okay if he's okay in that role? I think winter ball will be key for him. Cause again, he'll get every day at bats.
0: Mo, you mentioned the starting outfielders uh, in reference to Michelle's question. And you wanted to evaluate all of your outfielders this year. Obviously you have evaluated Lane Thomas, but what about Austin Dean and Williams? Have you had enough of a look at them to evaluate those two?
2: I don't think we have on Dean, um, you know, unfortunately broke had his a broken. And so therefore, you know, he's missed a ton of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I am hopeful that, that, he'll be competing at a higher level in the next couple of weeks. And so maybe, you know, there's six weeks or seven weeks left in the season where we can salvage and see what we have there. I think in, in William's case, obviously we were hopeful that when he came to the big leagues, he'd be more productive than he was. and Unfortunately it just hasn't worked out that way. So I think from, from his standpoint, I think we understand what we have there, but, um, you know, he has an incredible amount of power but you got to put the ball in play and um, you know that's just something that he struggled with at the big league level
0: i want to ask about your bench because in this day and age in baseball benches uh, we don't see those Gerald perry abraham nuñez miguel cairo type guys anymore and you and and mr DeWitt talk a lot about competitive advantage and and i've thought this i want to obviously you've thought about it i want to get your reaction would it be worth it to spend three or four extra million dollars to have those professional bench players on the bench rather than rookies because like we said with Kisner it's very difficult for a young player to to do that job.
2: No it is hard and it, it's, it depends you know you ask Kisner where he'd rather be <laughs> and you know we're, we know what that answer looks like I think when you look at, at bench players when you're out in the in the free agent market, a lot of guys aren't looking for 150 at bats or 200 at bats. They're looking for everyday playing time. Um, I don't think people are like just admit that they're looking for that backup role. And when you think about like bench, I mean, we were sort of looking at like Matt Carpenter, someone that would give us that veteran presence off the bench. But even he hasn't, you know, played as well as we had hoped given the fact that he was used to being an everyday player. So it's not just spending, Randy. It's really about having a mindset of accepting that
0: role. Mm -hmm. Got it.
1: Mo, Jack Flaherty made his first rehab start. It looks like he and Miles Michaelis will return soon. Do you have any sort of timetable on when they're expected back?
2: Well, um, you know, Jack threw yesterday, and he was up to, I think, somewhere north of 50 pitches. So, you know, ultimately he's probably going to need about at least two more rehab. Starts before you could expect him back at the big leagues, but it might be three. And then Miles goes tomorrow, probably looking at at least one or two more for him as well. So you're looking at
0: probably another 10 to 15 days, somewhere in there. And uh, I want to ask about this season, because even if the Cardinals play 750 ball, it's going to be hard to catch the Brewers, realistically speaking. Give me your best case scenario, Mo. If when we get to the end of September, what's the best case scenario for this team?
2: Well, it would be to sneak into the wild card, really. I mean, I think that's, that's the most realistic. I mean, obviously you don't want to say you're not trying to chase someone right now, but if you're looking at the, you know, best case and most realistic, it would be to, you know, get at least a a one game playoff and see where you go. Um, But you know, I I think if you had Jack Flaherty starting that game, he'd feel pretty good about your chances.
0: And I want to end on this note, because you mentioned basically the day after Jack got hurt, that it was a gut punch. And I believe the club was nine and two in the 11 starts that he he had made. Then in the two months following June and July, if you have that nine and two, you're in the race. Uh, I'm somebody who believes that the most important guy in your team is the number one starter. It is amazing to think if he could have gone nine and two, or the team could have gone nine and two in those two months, how different things would have been.
2: Yeah, I I actually don't look at it that way. I I agree with your point. I, I would have been happy with even just like 500 out of that type of pitcher. I think when you combine that and losing Bader in the same week is really what hurt. And then if you think back to that trip, we also lost Kim for a couple starts. So it really was almost like the aggregate of injuries at that time and to me losing Bader was like one of the biggest losses because you know that's an everyday player he was bringing a lot of energy to our club at that point and so losing Jack and Mr. Bader in that time frame I think was really when I refer to the gut punch is that because it that's a lot to overcome for a club and it puts so much more pressure on your everyday club to try to make up for it, and, and I think we saw that.
0: Well, we always appreciate you taking time with us. Thanks so much, and go get them against Atlanta this week. We'll certainly try. You guys be well. You too. Take care. That is the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak. on 101 ESPN.
3: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate Plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at GrifflesPlasma.com.